Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 9, The Remnant. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. Find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out 15. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. The end of our previous episode heralded the beginning of the end of the Babylonian exile. Our children found themselves renewing their covenant with us after a long period of straying. This triumphal moment is the final step in the process that began with their hearing our call back in Babylon. These are the remnant that felt the tug of purpose and identity at their hearts at hearing the words of our prophets, which led to the choice to step away from the now padded comforts of exile. We reminded you that you won't change your routine unless you also hear our call. It's the foundational start of the steps we are marking thus far. Number one, hear my call. Number two, change your routine, and number three, confess your sin and need for us. The next step takes things to the next level. You see, our children's restoration in Jerusalem is more than a simple pendulum swing back in our direction after a cycle of faithlessness, though that component is nearly unavoidable. In the wake of exile, and in their recognition that they should have been completely destroyed by this point, uh, that's in Nehemiah 9.31, there is a very real sense in the people that this is their last chance at hope, purpose, joy, or life. Having learned that these things rest solely in me, they mark their return to me on the way with a solemn vow. Listing first 84 nobles, individual priests, Levites, and family leaders, Nehemiah then records this formal moment. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of Yahweh our Lord. Realizing that the genesis of their duplicity was their allowing the influence of the surrounding culture to seep into their home life, they renew their commitment to marry solely those in covenant with us. They commit to Sabbath rest, as much an act of faith in their habitat as yours when losing a day's income seems imprudent and unwise. We'll not rehearse all the good embedded in Sabbath but if you're still not doing it in one way or another, wake up and smell the manna. We gave two days' worth then, we will now. 
they commit to yielding a tenth of their income in all its forms to us, a faithful act that pairs with Sabbath in its seeming to lessen one's assets, when, like Sabbath, it yields far greater. This tithe, however, empowers the very things that will enliven and encourage their faith as they worship in the temple, identifying with their community as my people, hearing our word, and being encouraged to remain faithfully on the way with us and with those around them. It's a touchstone moment of insight and peace if ever there was one. Of course, it isn't going to last. That very truth is embedded in the cycle the people have just confessed. Their zeal will lose its edge, and their blessed prosperity will give way to sameness, and we in fact will send one last prophet here in a moment to set them straight, or at least straighter. And so after you hear my call, change your routine, and confess your sin and need for us, the next and fourth step is to... Make a formal commitment, binding yourself to me as our children have just done. Here is where we must depart from the template of their practice, however, as you were living in a vastly different season within the Abra plan. By now, it is hoped that you have developed strong relationship with someone who is maturely on the way, and we urge you to converse with them about this fourth step. I am not shying away from this by any means, and will certainly have much to say about it when we finally process your season in the Abra plan in all its wonder. The primary point now, though, is that, if you've not already done so, and I know most of you have, still it's good to be reminded of it at all, is that the relationship to which we are calling you is more like a marriage than simply going out on a couple dates with someone you think you like. By this stage of the journey, we have been going together with you for some time. You may not know if you're ready for the commitment of a permanent relationship with me, but I am. Ready, that is. I, therefore... Hereby ask you to join with me in a permanent, committed relationship. I pledge all of myself to you and vow to do all within my power, which is really saying something, to cherish, love, and support you all the days of my life, which is eternal. Will you join with me? I assure you this is my greatest hope toward which we have been working this entire time. You may have to think about it, and I'll give you some time to do so. Don't take too long, though. My final prophets will give you some clues regarding not wanting to wait too long to decide. First, though, we've got to send Nehemiah back to Babylon. He doesn't make a big deal out of it, but you'll recall that King Artaxerxes had only given temporary leave to his cup-bearer to rebuild Jerusalem and her walls. That's Nehemiah 2.6. Well, after twelve symbolic years back in Judah, Nehemiah returns as required to Babylon. Some time later, he can't stand it any longer, and he requests and receives leave from the king to return permanently to Jerusalem. 
Nehemiah is gone long enough that some adjustments are required back home as soon as he gets there. On his return, he finds that the high priest, Eliashib, who'd been so exemplary in rebuilding the city gates back in Nehemiah 3, the high priest has stooped to the level of extending political favor. Not only that, but he's rented out a patently improper studio apartment within the temple to none other than Tobiah, a primary opponent to Jerusalem's rebuilding in clear violation of temple law. This fellow was mentioned in the same breath as the malicious Sanballat in Nehemiah 4.7 and 6.1. Well, the eviction of Tobiah isn't the only mending needed at the temple, as Eliashib has also withheld food and income from the Levites, whose earnings were to be derived from the nation's tithe. Accordingly, in order to put food on their tables, the Levites have all gone back to farming, resulting in a less-than-rigorous temple service. Nehemiah 18.21 Not surprisingly, the people's worship and tithing falls off, so there's not enough in the storehouses to care for the Levites even if Eliashib wanted to and the consequence cascades cycle swiftly on into the spiritual lives of the whole restored nation. Let us just say that they all need a good bit of help getting the hang of tithe and of Sabbath at first. Those old habits of grabbing as much and as often as possible die hard. Nehemiah is, shall we say, a proactive leader and nips these and a few other lapses in the bud before they can become bad habits. Nehemiah 13.4 The cup-bearing contractor's final words remind the people to avoid the lustful trap that had caught Solomon, for even he was led into sin by foreign women. He also reminds me to keep an eye on the priests and Levites so they don't make another mess of things. Nehemiah 13.25 Overall, though, Nehemiah's narrative leaves our people in and about a restored city, with a large number of them parsed out into smaller surrounding towns. They've got a new temple and rebuilt city walls the dedication of which is essentially the final poetic public event in his account. Our people are back on the way, or at least rediscovering it and what it means to walk on it. Although they are still under the rule of Babylon, the exile is over, and our children are back in the land we had promised and given them. And that's it. Well, no, not really. However, the linear narrative with which we have been tracking in the owner's manual ever since Genesis formally ends at this point, with prophetic exceptions to which we are about to get. One should note that Esther's book is placed after Ezra Nehemiah in most owner's manuals because her brief episode occurs during theirs after the commencement of Ezra-Nehemiah's much longer sequence. Some of your manuals will even have a section labeled The Historical Books in its Table of Contents, with Nehemiah ending that list. If you're reading a Tanakh, 
Nehemiah is the final book of action in the writings before they backtrack with a final summary in Chronicles. Of course, you don't need another historical narrative entry to know that our people will continue to struggle. In not too long a time, after Nehemiah sets their tithing and Sabbath-keeping straight, the people once again are reverting to faithless ways. Fading quickly seems to be the perspective gained by stopping everything and doing nothing but listening to our word from Ezra and contemplating Israel's journey over the years. The strength of identity that flows from so intense a time weakens when that identity is not regularly reinforced. The seemingly routine nature of everyday life clouds the people's eyes to the remarkable truths on which their life is built, especially when strong leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah sleep with their ancestors, as they must. And so we send one final prophet, Malachi. Malachi's brief book doesn't so much narrate a historical sequence as it does a theological one. But the prophet, whose fitting name means my messenger, returns to the issues centered on by Nehemiah's final reforms. While Malachi touches on a few issues, his primary warning to the restored remnant concerns one of the very things Nehemiah had had to fix. But you've got plenty to think about already today. We'll move on to that next time. In the meantime, I meant what I said earlier. If you have not already made a life commitment to me, I earnestly desire to do so with you. Ask someone on the way nearby you how to do so. They'll be happy to help. That's how we work together on the way. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. Use the link to the very first episode from our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's episode has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.